talento, el cartel al respeto le faltaron. Hablan de un tal Heisenberg que ahora controla el mercado. Nadie sabe nada de él porque nunca lo han mirado. A la furia del cartel nadie jamás ha escapado. Ese compa ya está muerto. No más no le han avisado. Hi, welcome back to the Breaking Bad Insider Podcast. My name is Kelly Dixon. I'm one of the editors on the new hit show Breaking Bad, which airs on the AMC network. And I'm here to talk about episode number 207, which is entitled Negro y Azul. And I'm here with my co-host, Vince Gilligan. Hello. And I'm here with uh, one of our other producers, John Scheiben. Hey. And the wonderful editor who cut this episode, Lynn Willingham. Hi. Uh, one of our actors on the show, R.J. Mitty. Hello. Who plays Walter Jr. Yes. Um, and uh, last but not least, our music supervisor, Thomas Golubich. Hi there. So, uh, Negro y Azul, um, really cool title. I'm assuming, but I'm going to ask you, John, since you wrote this episode, uh, that it refers to the little song or music video sort of thing that goes on at the beginning of this episode. The, the, yes, the Narco Corridos. Negro y Azul is black and blue. Uh, refers to our blue meth as well. And uh, Thomas can explain better than I can what a Narco Corridos is. It's a style of music and uh, came up in the writer's room. I think there was an article in the LA Times that we saw and Vince jumped on immediately and said, we just have to do this as a teaser. And, I think um, the videos really were like, in a way, the, the key thing that kind of blew everyone's minds. You know, there are these videos. Well, Narco Corridos is, just for sake of explanation, it's literally translated to drug ballad and it's a form of northern uh, Mexican music, Norteño music, which is specifically telling about the ex exploits of actual existing drug dealers. A lot of the artists who work in this field are funded and sponsored by these drug dealers. Uh, the performances that they do, the concerts that they do are essentially extended parties the drug dealers will do for everyone from their clients to their friends to people in the community. Um, it is almost like the drug dealers become the record label, the publishing company, everything involved. So it's a it's a really interesting and relatively unknown genre outside of the Norteño, you know, Mexican regional music community. But the videos, I think, were probably and I think was it which one of you guys was the one that caught the videos first? Because I think that's what really blew my mind. I can't remember, but I know somebody got on uh, the computer in the writers' room and we were all watching YouTube uh, videos. Oh, yeah. These uh, things are all over YouTube, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah, but we were watching Narco Corridos in the writer's room on YouTube, and the, the videos are, are very much uh, homespun, homemade uh, endeavors, and they are filled with uh, sort of uh, lower-end video wipes and star wipes and stripes and, you know... The checkerboard. Checkerboard, all these kind of video Speckle. effects. Flame yeah, wipe yeah. was my flame, favorite. Yeah, yeah, flame. flame wipe. and Whatever an inexpensive, you know, uh, new PC can actually put together in a video program. Exactly. It's very homemade. But so it, but we knew cool we wanted thing, those. In there. They're like an art form in themselves, though. I mean, when you start watching these things, they're really, really cool. Yeah, they are. They're tabloid imagery. You've got, you know, sort of shots of guys getting killed in their cars, you know, big piles of, of drugs and guns and Money. whatever essentially you can find on the internet. They're very much an internet phenomenon because it's all stuff you can find and then collect yourself. It's like almost a northern Mexican mashup of sorts. Yes, and a lot of Escalades, a lot of shots of cars, specifically mm -hmm. Cadillac Escalades, which I guess are, are big sellers. Are these things usually, uh, do they usually have um, subtitles. Are, are they subtitled or are they just no, in Spanish? No, not yeah. usually. Because that's something that we did 
to help our audience, obviously. But uh, usually they are not subtitled. No, exactly. They're uh, they're they're in Spanish, unsubtitled. We definitely want to record this in Spanish. And uh, yeah, Thomas, uh, talk about the process. And it was quite a process involved in finding the the right band to do this. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, we luckily had a lot of lead time on this thing. I mean, it was like we talked about this a long time before the episode was shot. Um, there were a couple of difficulties. One of them was when I started looking into bringing a band in to write a song and record it, one of the problems we had was nobody had official papers. Almost all the guys that we had talked to were here illegally. And because this was being done for a big company, Sony, they couldn't allow us to do anything without having correct paperwork. So I suddenly realized that we couldn't just knock this thing off in any quiet, low-key way. So the next step was to look into doing re-records or people who could do it in the spirit of, and I talked to one company that was trying to do it, and it sounded so illegitimate and so square. Just imagine, like, you know, trying to do an authentic hip-hop track, but doing it with a bunch of white guys living in the suburbs. The Percy Faith Orchestra. Yes, exactly, exactly, doing a Dr. Dre cover. Lawrence Welk. That was the problem. So the next issue was, okay, well, we can't, you know, go underground. We can't go, you know, copycat. Let's find a real band. So we reached out to uh, Sony BMG and Universal Records, who both release in their regional Latin uh, actual Narco Corridos bands. And one of the ones that we were looking at originally was Los Darayes de la Sierra, which uh, the guy had an incredible story where his entire band was killed except for two members, himself and his bass player, uh, by a rival drug gang. And he had apparently been shot at on stage, had shot back at people from on stage. (laughs) I mean, the stories, the deeper you dig into these stories, the more fascinating they get. And one of the things that was really interesting was I did more research Apparently, Narco Corridos artist and de las, uh, de Reyes de la Sierra in particular was the best-selling artist in all of Walmart nationwide, which I couldn't believe because nobody had ever heard of them. But you're looking at Walmart's being... Somebody had. Obviously, somebody had. And so it's a really huge genre, but in a very specific field. And because you've got a lot of Walmarts in Spanish-speaking immigrant communities, they buy those records in huge numbers. So we reached out to a lot of different folks, and then we came across a band called Los Cuates de la uh, uh, Sinaloa. Jeez, I'm mispronouncing the name. Sinaloa, yeah. Thank you. And they the were... Friends was, of, the Friends of Sinaloa. Yeah, so the, or, the, or the cousins, the twins is, okay. is another phrase for it. And uh, they are actual cousins from Mexico, from the Sinaloa area, who had moved to Phoenix and basically started a career there. It's really two guys and then a third guy. Um, and we basically got them on board, and then we tried to find a songwriter. And Vince, you had written some lyrics. Talk a little bit about the, the lyrics, the story of yeah, Heisenberg. you wrote some really cool lyrics. I actually have, I had a friend who translated your English lyrics into Spanish and put them up on my wall because oh, they yeah. were so badass. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, I, I always wanted to write songs. I know nothing about it, nothing whatsoever, but I always wanted to do it. But uh, John and I were talking, and John was, was busy writing the actual script, and you know, uh, I took a little stab at writing the uh, lyrics, but I made no attempt at writing the music, the, you know, the, 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 the melody or any of that. I wouldn't know where to begin. But um, Thomas found a music producer named uh, uh, Pepe, Pepe, Garza. Pepe Garza, who was wonderfully helpful, and, and you can speak to that. He, he, uh, I, we gave him my English lyrics, and he, he did more than just translate them. He, he really uh, he reworked the story a little reworked, bit, which is which is great. And he re- reworked the story and added his own artistry to it. And uh, 
He wrote the music too, right? He did both, yeah. Is that correct? Yep. Or, yeah. yeah. Pepe was interesting because he's sort of like the godfather of Narco Corridos. He's the station manager for Que Buena, which is a radio station here in Los Angeles. He's a songwriter. He's a producer. Uh, he is everywhere. Everybody knows him. Almost every concert that happens, he is in some way tied to. Uh, he's definitely sort of the godfather. So when we came across him, and this was actually thanks to a guy named Robert Isaac, who works for Telemundo, he had introduced me to him, and we suddenly realized, man, we've got somebody in the room now who is sort of the master of this. So when he agreed to come on board, we were suddenly in great shape. And he looked at the lyrics, and he had a few issues. He thought, well, number one, you know, we, we can't have, you know, we have to make sure that, you know, the... Um, you know, he can't be the hero. Like, you know, it, it is the, you know, the, the, the Mexican Mafia has got to be the hero, or yeah. this song's not going to sell. Yeah, so good point. you mean yeah. Walt can't be the hero. Walt can't be the hero of right. this piece. Right. We can talk about his exploits, but we got to say that, you know, he's going to go down. Yes. And he's, yes. he's been disrespecting people, and that this is, which, you know, you were very happy to switch I, the concept. Ironically, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fits the bill for, for the oh, show absolutely. and for where, yeah. you know, Heisenberg is going. And I was happy to have an expert in the field uh, making it more technically correct. But we didn't have to go to Tijuana to record it. We were actually in the suburbs of Burbank. We ended up climbing together. We brought the Los Cuates guys and uh, Pepe into this recording studio where he had a little sheet of paper, and he had done on this little tape recorder the chords to the song. And the guys just sort of knocked it out. In the course of three hours, we just watched the song unfold. And, uh, I'm sorry, I couldn't have been there for that. That would have been fun damn, to watch. Damn, I would have liked to have seen that, too. Yeah, that was right near here somewhere? Yeah, it was right up the street, and it was absolutely fascinating. I mean, literally, this house you would never expect. In the background, they're doing songs about drug dealers every day, you know? <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, yeah, the suburbs are uh, complicated. You have, a whistling ver- you have a whistling version of it, too, that we use in the end credits. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, Did you tell them about that? Well, they were doing the piece, and in order to get the melody right, they started to whistle it before they started to do the lyrics, and they were having a really hard time with the word Heisenberg. So every time they would say Heisenberg, it would get garbled. So they started to just whistle the melody, and the whistling sounded so good, I said, please, guys, can you just record a whistling version as well? And I kind of hoped that they would, and I had to leave, and I just thought, oh, I hope they do this. I hope this is Sure enough, I got it in the post, and that became our end title. So the whistling version was a nice little accident. And Los Cuates don't, the, the three members of the band don't even speak English, is that correct? No, no. no. Pe- one, one Pepe of them does, does. I assume. Pe- well, Pepe does, but, you know, he, you know, it's, it's Spanglish, you know. It's yeah. like you're kind of surfing, surfing concepts as much as you're really talking specifics. Gotcha. So this episode was directed by Felix Alcala. 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 I'm sorry. Sorry, Felix. Felix Alcala. Um, and he speaks Spanish. Yeah, a wonderful director who's uh, known for many things. Uh, most recently, aside from our show, most recently I would think Battlestar Galactica. Is that correct, John? Battlestar, he's done ER. He's, he's been around for years and done a lot of great work. Yeah, very talented. It, it was a real pleasure to work with on this, especially because um, it was a very ambitious episode, not only in the action that we had to get, but at the, on the same schedule we had to shoot this video. And in the spirit of the even though the videos that uh uh you know are, are on youtube the real narco corrido videos are are probably made for 50 cents when you have a a, a television crew uh, it, it's a big endeavor <laughs> you just can't you can't you can't do it low rent to a certain extent you try to make it look low rent but so uh, uh felix was amazing and and we just threw imagery at him and stuff at him we, we dressed up a guy like jesus malverde we brought cubes out in the desert for the boys to stand on to play we bought the the rv we, we talk about the cube talk about the cubes too they're made out of uh you can see through them right so that the idea was that they're floating there the, yeah yeah about oh you know a quarter mile away from q studios in albuquerque where where we were shooting the interiors and the sets for for breaking bad there's basically just desert 
and it's 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 very close. And if you just look, uh, if you just don't look behind you, you never see the studio. And it works really well. We've used that as a backlot sort of in a number of episodes. But we went out. Uh, actually, Felix had the idea of making these uh, uh, plastic, giant plastic cubes for the three band members to stand on in the tall grass that happened to be growing out there. And that's what you'll see in the, the video and the teaser of the episode is these images of the three guys just floating in the desert. Um, and it was actually a lot of fun, uh, I got to say, because we just threw every crazy. I mean, it, it was sort of like making it on the fly. Once we had all the elements, we were out there and, and it would be like, okay, you lie down. You're an extra. Lie down. We'll throw blood on you. Take a picture of them. Here's some guns. Pile them up. Take a picture. <laughs> it was crazy. But it was, it, 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 and then, you know, uh, uh, maybe Lynn can speak to how uh, difficult it must have been to take all of that stuff and put it into a uh, a beautiful uh, narco corrida. Yeah, let me ask you this though: Was it shot on film or was it shot on? Good video? question. It was shot on video. Is that video, correct? Yes. Yeah. But yeah, talk about how uh, um, editing was, uh, Lynn. Well, the interesting thing about editing something like this is that it's totally, totally different than what you do um, for your television show. So first we went to the, um, the various websites, um, like YouTube. There's also two that are specifically Spanish-speaking language, um, uh, Narcos Carreras, uh video music spots, which are great. And we watched them because you've got to get your head behind what they look like before you can actually duplicate them. And then it was just, you know, throwing all the rules out. And it was really fun. It's such a simple song. It's got great lyrics, but the music is very simple. And I think what carries that kind of a song is, is the emotion. But those three guys can play the crap out of those guitars. Mm -hmm. I oh, mean, my those gosh. Those guys are yeah, excellent. Really they are really talented. And really good singers. Yeah, really good singers. And it's got a lot of charisma, those three guys. Yeah, and great sports, because as I understand, it was about 115 oh, degrees yeah. Yeah. the day they right. shot. Yeah, yeah and they're in suits and stuff. Bad. I, I was there that day, and I'm in, like, towel on my head with cold water. I, I, see a couple, I see a couple of dudes in full suits. Black outfits. Yep. With, with big with hats, hats on. Yeah. Yes. Let me let me ask you guys, uh, John, I think you, you were there yes. that day. Um, uh, how how long? I mean, was that a full day of shooting for you guys? No. How that, many times did they have to do that song? It was a, um, it was honestly a half day shooting. Uh, we did it after lunch. We did other stuff on stage in the morning and then we moved out there. And uh, they probably did the song on the up on the uh, cubes four or five times, and we had two cameras, and the cameraman would just move around and do the and move in on them and zoom out on them, and and then we started throwing the other character actors we had there. We had some children to to just as imagery, and we had this a fellow dressed as uh, Jesus Malverde, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. um, and then we got them off the cubes and position them in front of the RV and we and we grabbed uh, one of the bald crew members and said all right go put on uh, the Heisenberg hat and stand with your back to us so we don't know who it is but we imply that that's that's the video version of Heisenberg and the concept people have a vague idea of what Heisenberg looks like so they're just trying to imitate it with exactly. some other yeah. yeah that's what I was going to say too because um, these things the way I understand it they're kind of like being shot as Okay, this guy is a legend. We don't know who he is, but obviously they, they might have heard of the RV. They definitely seen the blue meth because there's shots of blue meth in there. Well, I mean, part of, the, part of our idea, and we talked a lot about this in the writer's room, about where this video, Narco Corrido, fits in the reality of the show. And it's kind of, 
a way to show what happens in this episode because this is kind of the episode where Heisenberg's reputation is born. And so the the idea was that this is sort of out of time. And yeah. does it exist? Maybe does it? It certainly doesn't exist before this episode. Yeah. Um, but but you know, as you'll see, this is the episode where where uh, uh, you know Jesse becomes a blowfish and Heisenberg becomes the the, the local kingpin. Yeah. That's a good point that John just made. Uh, yeah, I, this I love this teaser for so many reasons, but I don't think you necessarily can see it as a literal you know i i don't know where exactly this exists it's it's almost like a representation of a general feeling out on the street yeah. it's not it's sort of an out of time out of place kind of a quasi fantasy type thing and it's fair to say that narco corridos are really all about a rep it's like creating a rep out of you know maybe sketchy details or semi-correct information and yeah. that's kind of what we're doing with walt this is sort of waltz you know walt has now in essence become a legend and the legend of heisenberg has now sort of become a, a, a video that they're actually singing songs about him yeah exactly. although i could say that uh you know badger did it on weekends you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly so uh felix we talked about him a little. Did a great job. He's uh, he's got a really great eye. He started as a cameraman, as a as a director of photography, I believe. That's, and, uh, yeah, he's yeah. Actually, he started in, in documentary filmmaking, which I think really gives him a uh, a good sense of our show because our show tries to be not documentary style, but very realistic. Yeah, cinema verite, yeah, fast moving. He really, yeah, was good at that. Yeah. So um, we basically come back uh, into this episode after the little narco corrido. We kind of come back to where um, uh, Jesse has been through a hugely uh, traumatic experience uh, with the uh, with the Spooge family, um, and he's holed up. He's basically gone to the mattress, and he's holed up in his house, not answering the door, not answering the phone. Walt is desperately trying to get in touch with him. Uh, finally, Walt goes over and uh, meets Jane. Yeah. And uh, basically, Jane is like, "Boy, they uh, hit so it off too." Are you Mr. Yes. Jackson? And he's like, uh, "Okay, sure." Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, we go in, and obviously, uh, uh, Walt has a plan. Walt has a little plan when he hears about you know what happened with Jesse. Yes, you guys, yes. talk a little bit about that. Yes, uh, the blowfish. You mean the blowfish? The blowfish has a secret yeah, weapon. One of my very favorite lines: "The blowfish has a secret weapon now, doesn't he?" <laughs> I love that scene. I love the way they play that scene. Yeah, uh, Felix did a wonderful job uh, directing it, and 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 uh, Brian and Aaron just really knocked that one out of the park. And actually, I love the last line of that scene uh, is a um, is a complete ad lib by uh, Aaron Paul. Yes. Yeah. Talk about that. What he he. Uh, Grabs for the bong. Uh, uh, it's something like it's like uh, blowfishing uh, yeah. blow blow it, it up. Blowfishing yeah. it up. That's what it was. Yeah, no, <laughs> we did about fish. three or, or four yeah. takes, of, takes of that, and and uh, they really wanted to um, marry Walt's coughing and and Jesse's pot coughing. <laughs> Oh, and right. So that was kind of the, they were trying to get that to the end. Get them both coughing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so they they tried different lines as they were as they were uh, celebrating their their newfound blowfishness, and yes. uh, that was our favorite. Uh, those guys always come up with good they're, lines. They're I great. Say. Hey, so uh, RJ, what do you think Walter Jr. would think of if you knew his old man was uh, was doing all the illegal stuff he's doing? Why am I not getting a cut? <laughs> <laughs> so we get Hank uh, going down to El Paso to fight 
the cartels. We yeah. open up, I guess, with him down in El Paso, and he's kind of being made fun of by his uh, by office Vanco. mates here yeah. because yeah. he does speak Spanish. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, you know, we should talk about uh, we shoot the DEA office scenes in a very nice office building. Uh, very nice as in uh, there's, there's floors of it, whole floors of it that are unoccupied right now that we shoot on an un- unoccupied floor, I think on the ninth floor. Nice building in that it's a sort of a historic building in downtown Albuquerque, somewhat historic, built in the 50s, I believe, and very uh, cinematic, a lot of interesting angles to shoot in. Uh, we were lucky to get that building at the beginning of our season and, and establish it in this new season as our DEA headquarters. And now here in, Albuqu- in uh, El Paso, we, ha- we use the same suite of offices, but we use a different side of the building. Uh, to play the El Paso field uh, or district office, I guess. And uh, our our wonderful production designer, Rob Wilson King, and his crew, who always do a wonderful job, uh, changed up, again, as always, need it be said, on an extraordinarily tight budget yeah. and extraordinarily tight timeline. They they took, uh, they do a lot with a little little money and a little time. But they they turned uh, these DEA headquarters into DEA headquarters in a whole other city. So and it works pretty well. And they do it a lot a lot of things with just basic color choices. I think blue is sort of the overriding color here in El Paso. They found some blue chairs and blue accoutrements and stuff like that. And Azul. Azul. Yeah. See, it was yeah. on purpose. You know, I, I, I gotta ask you. You know, because we have not talked about this at all. You know, now that you mentioned the blue, and I don't know why we haven't talked about it, but can you talk a little bit about the meth, about the the prop that is actually used? Yeah. For that that blue meth. Uh, yeah. Well, the prop, the prop itself, and I, I can't remember. It's uh, it's it's uh, well, there's a couple different versions of it, but one of them is uh, why did we? I'm trying to remember now why we picked blue. This was the end of last season. It was a little before John got here, uh, and last season I'm trying to remember. Anyway, blue. I don't think there's any overarching plan. It just seemed like, I think I had an idea in the back of my head, or one of us did, the idea of it being light blue like the sky, and maybe the locals calling it Sky, and the fact that Walt's wife's name is Skyler or Sky for short, and somehow Walt would be troubled that his product is being referred to by the name of his wife and I don't think it ever nothing ever really came of that maybe who knows maybe it will someday or, or since I've gone on record of saying it maybe not but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah there's an awful lot of thought given to color and a lot of that is is Rob King our production designer and Kathleen DeToro our wonderful costume designer and Karen Moore our line producer who also is uh, gives a lot of thought to color herself and uh, Mike Slovis our director of photography we're, we're all you know, right from the get-go, we sort of had a color for everybody. Uh, Jesse's colors are mostly red, predominantly red and yellow and black, and Walt is sort of different layers of beige, you know. Olive. Beige and olive, and uh, Hank is sort of orange, orange and melon. <laughs> yeah, different melon and orange and cantaloupe colors, and Skylar is blue, and uh, Marie is purple. Yeah, but you're pushing the three-layer shirt thing pretty hard. Yeah, I yeah. was you definitely have the long sleeve, you know short what? sleeve I thing going on. Close to the end, I finally got into short sleeves. That's right. <laughs> yeah, well, it's because you've been working out those guns. So yeah, uh, yeah. You yeah. Figure the girls yeah, wanted to see them. 
No, but Vince, a lot of plaids though for uh, Walt Jr. A lot of plaids and whatnot. Stripes, stripes. Stri- I'm not, not plaids. I'm sorry. Not color. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Different yeah. color plaid. Stripes, well, stripes. Different forms of color. Yeah. Yes. Hey, um, Vince, no, what, what is the stuff made of, though? Like, what is in the bag? Plaid? No. Plaid is made of... <laughs> uh, of <a> tightly woven... <laughs> uh, I, I don't... I know at one point on the pilot, our prop master on the pilot, who did a fine job, different fellow than we have now, he was using something he referred to, it said it was a Japanese packing material like rubber yeah it looked and it was also i think it was the yeah, same stuff they use for for broken pieces of tempered glass on a and for instance when you're doing a stunt or you're working around broken glass in a movie set which we do a lot after you know window gets broken or whatever what you use for the broken glass in order that you don't cut your actors is actually this clear rubber stuff that breaks up crumbles into little pieces much like tempered glass does i think we were using it well, you know, I've got a couple of bags of it. Uh, oh, let's somewhere. open them. Well, I yes. have. It, it, it smells kind of funny. It Break it out, man. Yeah, it smells kind of funny. Wait, wait, I have a question. Getting back to the, the, blue, um, the blue color of the, of the meth, was the precursor that they stole in episode, was it seven last year? Was yeah. that a blue liquid? No, no. Well, that, no we never no. see it. That, so. was, that was methylamine, which is a true precursor to a specific... Uh, formula for cooking meth. That's the what they refer to as the uh, biker, or, or I believe. Yeah. Biker meth. Biker, biker meth. I was going to say Pride. biker or Nazi. Yeah. I, but I Nazi, that... Nazi might be the ammonia. I, I tell you, I am no. This clearly, anyone listening, I am no chemist. We have a lot of fine help from real chemists. Uh, I know very little about chemistry myself. I hate to say, but biker meth is is. Is the P is a P two P cook using right. methylamine as a precursor, and methylamine is what they steal in episode one hundred seven of last year, and it is a more complex cook. There's more steps involved. There's more room for error. No, there's less room for error. It's 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 easier to screw up, and you typically don't get quite the yield you do with a pseudo cook. Pseudo cook is uh, something just about anybody could do. But the point last season of not cooking pseudo was that the, the supply the of pseudo, pseudo. Yeah. and 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 as you know DEA and the federal government in the United States here have done a actually a very good job of uh, of making pseudo ephedrine harder to come by. Uh, of course, the trouble is, you know, with any kind of uh, illegal economy like the drug economy, you know, that if there's a if there's a market, somebody somewhere is going to figure out some. You know, nefarious way to fill it. So now all the pseudo comes from uh, Asia. Oh. Asia. Well, uh, maybe India as well, but Asia, and it comes into Mexico. And uh, their super labs in Mexico are making or are doing uh, pseudo derived uh, meth, and then uh, sneaking it across the border here. That's what the one big thing the Mexican drug cartels are involved in now, and it's it's a big problem, and it's you know terrible violence yeah. along the border. Right now, they um they I saw somewhere where they're saying American citizens do not go into Mexico right now because last time I heard they um they have killed thirty people in three days. Yeah, it's wow. Juarez because of all the um a, you're, you're games exactly are fighting. Right. You're exactly right. Juarez is a real shame because you know. Most of the people in Juarez, I gotta believe, most people anywhere are law-abiding citizens, and they're just sort of living in terror down there. It's a terrible thing. 
uh, yeah, those border towns. I love going down to Mexico. We, we love going down further south, but those border towns are, are sort of, to, unfortunately, are sort of to be avoided now. So. Well, they have their mayors and their police chiefs, you know, in exile, basically in the U.S. border, operating out because they're too likely to be assassinated. Well, I've heard they're also killing journalists now too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, yeah, some got tortoises. They killed, you know, tortoises. Well, yeah, let's, uh, bring, let's talk about that. Bringing us back Otis. down to uh, episode two hundred seven, we yeah, yeah. we send uh, Hank down to El Paso to deal with uh, one of the uh, drug cartels. Uh, one of the guys who's turning state's evidence, I guess? Yeah, turning federal evidence there, uh, helping out the DEA. And that's the actor Danny Trejo? Danny Trejo, Danny Trejo. Wonderful, Trejo. wonderful gentleman. Uh, what was he like? I never actually met him. What was he like? He was, when he'd walk up to you, I, I would shiver in my boots because he was so scary, but he was very sweet. He's a sweet, <laughs> grand, sweet. grandfatherly type. The grandfatherly yeah. type. He has a, 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 at one point he was changing. and I wasn't in his trailer. He was outside. And uh, he has a big tattoo of his kids, uh, like a snapshot. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> but but y- you can tell he's 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 lived the life, and he ha- and, and he brings that to his role. I mean, he he can be really scary, and and he did scare me once because he came up and he kept saying, "In uh, um, I mean, he was very polite. He said, you know, the writing is great. The writing's great. I love this. This is great.' And he, but he kept saying the F word." over and over again and we only get a, a, we can't you know uh, we only get one a year we only now. get one a year <laughs> which so, we used way back in episode six so I, I, I leaned over to Felix I said you can't keep saying the F word and uh, and and so Felix went into the set and then, and then Danny comes out running at me and I'm like wah because he's coming right at me going why can't I say that you said that on that show last year I'm like no 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 we only get one and da, da, da. well okay. and then he went back and did it and he actually did some fun ad libs which um the the last line actually in the in the episode it's played over over an exterior shot but uh, uh, in the catalog he's looking at a a, a tortoise uh, doorstop or some skull, garden sculpture yeah. and he says nice nice likeness and he did this imitation with this face and he looks exactly like the tortoise it was great yeah yeah, so. yeah. sorry we didn't have time to, to yeah. get it in there <laughs> I got a question for you then uh, how did you come by the uh, the head of our buddy Tortuga. Bring me the head of Danny Trejo. <laughs> yeah, well, the wonderful uh, husband and wife team of the Bermans, who we've spoken of before on this podcast. I uh, can't remember if it's one that's already aired yet or not. But uh, uh, they are hugely talented uh, sculptors and uh, artists and makeup people who've done loads of TV and movies over the decades. And Karen Moore, our line producer, is old friends with them. And uh, they cast Danny Trejo's head in, in plaster or some form of some whatever they cast him in, whatever substance they cast his head in, they made a mold and then they cast his head in I believe some form of silicone rubber and put in glass, you know, eyeballs I guess and threaded in, you know, lash by lash all the lashes and threaded in hair by hair all the hair in his head and, and, and painted it. An amazing amount of work. That thing it looks. We've got it now in a in an ice chest in a in a in a, in a, in a, in a storage yeah in a storage facility in uh, Albuquerque. And I hope the FBI never opens that up. I tell you, people would freak the hell out if you know. That I thing would, looks just. Yeah. Like it looks. Him. It, it looks real. Yeah. I mean, it looks real, real. We should say we had two heads, actually, because oh, yeah? we. Uh, uh, the the physical oh, effects yeah. folks made a head out of wax, uh, oh, yeah. I believe using the same mold. But then it was it was detailed and they put hair on it, but it wasn't as photo detailed. And that's the one that they stuffed with explosives. Yes. And Did, put on a fake turtle. 
Yes, Dennis Peterson, uh, our wonderful uh, physical effects guy, blew up that. Uh, yeah, obviously, I want to say Otis the turtle uh, was not harmed in the making of this uh, episode. They did get credit, I think. Otis was a he was a he was a very interesting. Uh, talk about Otis. Otis was a trooper. Um, he he. Uh, we ended up having to shoot. Otis uh, is the tortoise, right? Otis is the tortoise. Okay. <laughs> and he works a lot in, in movies and television. Uh, he lives in, in New Mexico, I believe. Um, and uh, he came with his trainer and his manager and his agents and everybody He's gonna else. He's going to appear on da- uh, Dancing with the Stars next month? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. And I, he might be a judge on next season's American Idol, yeah, but we're, we'll, we'll wait to see. But, uh, no, he, he, uh, uh, he actually, what was interesting about Otis was one of his trainers had kind of gotten him to answer to uh, her call. So seriously, yeah. So she would be off camera, Otis, 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 and he would <laughs> head toward her. And you, we, because you, we would, uh, of course, you're trying to get him to specifically <laughs> move to where you know the camera can see him. Yeah, yeah. And it's not always easy because he's he's looking for lettuce, and they didn't, they would not, you know, they would they would wait till just before his his lunch hour, and then they would say, okay, let's go, because they'd have the lettuce and he'd be hungry. And then she'd be off screen going, Otis, Otis, Otis. And he would walk to And they they wired the head to his shell very carefully. Yeah, how do they fix the head to his shell? They put a little sort of putty stuff, like that stuff you put under your earthquake. Like sort museum of, wax. Or yeah, something. like that. Yeah, yeah. They put some of that down. And then they had just a little sort of wire that they, they fashioned that, that just hooked around the edge of the shell so it wouldn't fall off. Nicely done because you don't see the wire. No, you really don't. Yeah. And, uh, and, and we were out there shooting. Uh, unfortunately, we had to... Uh, one. Otis is a little prickly when it comes to temperature, and if it gets too cold, he just stops and, yeah. and goes into a shell, basically. It's too. a reptile thing. Yeah, it's a reptile <laughs> thing. So, yeah, so does Vince Gilligan. Yes. But, um, <laughs> but he gets prickly for other Crawl reasons. into my enormous Cheetos bag. Yes. <laughs> Pull it close behind me. So we ended up having to um, come back on another day and pick up some pieces of Otis, particularly to see the, the Ola DEA that's written on the side, and to get just some more pieces because, uh, you know, he stormed off to his trailer. It got too cold, and uh, he had to stop. You would never know it seeing the episode, but um, once uh, Hank runs over to view the turtle close up, and just before the explosion, there are a number of shots that were shot on stage, and our great uh, uh, set deck and and whatnot, and our DP did a really good job of, of they built a big sandbox basically and put uh, cactus in it and and uh, uh, lit it such that it looked like it was outside and it, it worked really well so yeah it's a, it's a, if you're looking for it it's the uh, specifically well no it's a couple shots specifically for instance it's when we're close on Hank and he's looking into the binoculars sort of right, right at us and the background's a little wider and that's uh, indoors and then uh, yeah the shots of Otis uh, wandering around with the head on his back really well done does Otis have like uh, specific labor laws Do you, is there a certain amount of time that you can work a tortoise I don't know honestly uh, there were some uh, we, we did have to provide you know the, the, for a trainer and whatnot. I, over the he, age 18 right yeah, yeah, yeah. he didn't yeah, have how to have a teacher Otis? How old I is believe Otis? Otis is not as old as I had thought. I think he's only in his twenties or thirties. Oh. I expect he's him to be older, but that, he's he's big. I forget yeah, which kind age. of tortoise he is, but he's not. Could we count North cut him American. in half and count he's, the rings? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> probably be a bad Season idea. three, because uh, he. Uh, but there was an ASPCA uh, person on the set. I believe. Oh yes, yes. Uh, and then the explosion itself. I was proud of the way you guys pulled that off because I. 
I just always want, you know what it is? It's like anytime there's going to be an explosion in a movie or TV show, there's sort of a, there's sort of a, there's sort of a math to it. There's sort of a, you can sort of tell something bad's about to happen because you cut to a new angle or whatever, and suddenly things blow up. <laughs> and I just, I had it in my head. I just wanted it, wanted so badly for it to be right in the middle of the guy talking for it just to blow up without a cut. And Felix and you, you guys, and and certainly Dennis Peterson really figured out a way to to pull that off. Talk about that shot. That when the when the he says welcome to Juarez, and then the thing blows up. Well, by design, it was supposed to feel like it was one shot and there were no cuts. And it's actually a combination of three different pieces, I believe three. The stunt itself, we actually shot it once with the actors, and he said the line, and he picked up the head off of the tortoise, and we cut. And then we put, and then the stuntmen came in. We had three cranes that uh, were just off camera so that when the explosion happened and they were ratcheted with wires so that they would be pulled into the air and, and away from the blast point and in different directions. And it's actually kind of interesting the way they wired them because they wired one guy so he would spin mm-hmm. as he flew and another guy he'd go end over end almost and another guy would go off in, one dire- in a different direction. So that was all set up. And, then, and they had an actual uh, charge in the fake turtle and the fake head. And, and mostly a cinematic charge, meaning it, it looks pretty or, or it looks powerful but it's not you could stand within five six feet of it it's not throwing any shrapnel or anything exactly and and there's actually uh, a lot of what they call fuller's earth which is basically movie dirt uh that they pack in and and they had explosives underneath the turtle they had they did have one in the head but that was mainly just so the head would go to pieces and then they had in the ground were charges that would shoot dirt into the air basically, and so it looked like the whole thing blew up and blew a big blast hole there. So that's a big cloud of very fine particulate dirt, essentially. Right. Yeah. yeah. We should talk to, you know, I, I've been remiss uh, in a couple of these webisodes, although now's a perfect time to mention Al Goto. Uh, Al Goto is <laughs> yeah. our stunt coordinator. When you're a stunt coordinator, it means most likely you've been a stunt man yourself in the past or, or still currently a stunt man, but stunt coordinator is the guy who's in charge of the stunt men and hires them and makes sure they're safe and helps plan out the stunt, helps coordinate everything. Like, for instance, you know, uh, Al had to hire the cranes. He had to, you know, uh, figure out how to rig the guys onto the wires. He had to figure out which guy was going to spin which way and, you know, talk it through with these guys, make sure it looks insanely dangerous but that, in fact, nobody gets hurt. And he's really good. Nobody ever does, you know, knock on wood, don't want to jinx anything, but uh, he's very safe. He's very good at his job. And we've had some great stunts so far and hopefully we'll continue to. And Well, he's really good at, at he always wants to know what we're looking for and he and, and wants to give it to us and make it look as big as we want. Yet he's always mindful of the safety factor and he's, you know, so his, yeah. his people trust him and, and he does a great job. Yeah. Actually, the fellow who played Emilio back in uh, the pilot and episode, uh, well, the pilot, and then we see his dead body yeah. in episode 101, mm-hmm. is uh, uh, John Koyama is one of uh, Al Goto's stuntmen. Yeah. So um, it's it's kind of funny. I, I know that it was on purpose, but the meeting place for uh, Walt and uh, Jesse's crew, because Jesse won't get out of bed, is the National Atomic Museum. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, I'm sure you guys did that on purpose. Uh, you so, know, can you talk a little bit about that? I wasn't there for any of the shooting, but that was fun for me because the f- one of the, the first time I ever visited Albuquerque, I got to go on this uh, trip, this Air Force trip to Kirtland Air Force Base and Holloman Air Force Base, and it was a film industry related trip. And and one of the places they took us on a tour was the Atomic Museum, and 
really fascinating place. But I wasn't yeah. there when you guys shot that. But those are all the A-bombs and all that stuff. That's all really there. You can go, by all means, go visit it. It's a great museum it, it if you're over in Albuquerque. Nice. Yeah. I, I went there for a um, field trip. I got just field tired. Of, I just got char- tired and tired of reading about them. Um, so we went there for a field trip so I could get out the classroom oh okay that's cool yeah oh yeah because rj you're, you have to go to school you're still i have to <laughs> oh. doesn't mean oh. i won't oh. so sad. I have to. it's good to go know, to school the, t- the tiniest violin feels for me because someday it's going to be like uh, i have to go to work i wish i was back, yeah, yeah. I was back believe me these are the salad days enjoy it <laughs> God, i'm almost done one year but then i got like six years of college you would be Six when, when years you, of what? What's six years of college? I'm you, getting my master's. So. Oh, okay. Oh, good for you. What? Yeah, what you gonna get your business. master's? In? Oh, cool. Very so, nice. Excellent. Smart. Uh, uh, legal business, right? Yes. Legal. No, sorry, I can't help you out. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, okay. there will be no more business after this. Uh, the great ca- after the yeah. Great Depression yeah. <laughs> and the Dust Bowl circa 2010. Uh, maybe uh, maybe mind, by the I'm, time you get your master's, there'll be a lot of business. Never mind. Because I'm going to put I'm going to put all mine in the military equipment. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> One of my favorite lines, especially the way you delivered it, was. Um, uh, how about you get a new hot water heater yeah. or something yeah. like that? See, my favorite line is the skater one. That's my favorite one. Oh. Do I oh, look yeah, like yeah, a skater? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what like the skaters wear. Which, which you made up. No, actually, no, you and Anna made that up. No. That was not, that's yeah. right. That was a great line. <laughs> yeah. That was in the pilot, and you're trying on jeans, and, and your mom, the uh, lady who plays your mom, Anna, says, uh, don't you want these? These are hip. These are what the skaters wear. And you say, "Do I look like a skater?" <laughs> and yeah, that was none of that was in the script. Right. You guys made that up on the on the spot. That was yeah, really that's, good. Yeah, that's that's one of my most memorable lines right there. I, yeah. I just love I just love how um, when I saw it on screen, it completely turned out different than how um, I would thought it would turn out, and I just loved it from there. What were you expect when you saw? It? You mean that scene or the whole episode? Or the that whole, whole episode. Gotcha. Really. What were you expecting? I have no idea, really. When I um, this is probably has nothing to do with this season. When I first got the script, I saw it and I loved it, and I had no idea how this script was going to work. I lo- I I, uh, I looked at it and go, okay, um, this script is crazy. I love it. Dad's making meth. The, his wife is pregnant. His son has CP. Um, my uncle's DEA and. <laughs> Later on, we find out my aunt's a kleptam. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, just because you brought that up, I, I've been meaning to f- try and figure out when we could bring that up. And I, where did that come from? I, that happened in my first episode last year, episode 102 and the Bags in the River. But uh, it was just funny because we were like, whoa, what the heck is, she, you know, where, where did this come from, Vince? You, you gotta, if you can, I, please I, tell I, us. Honestly, I... I... <laughs> you know, we, you want to you want to give every character something interesting. You want to give them all a little something, and uh, Betsy Brandt is so funny personally, and, and RJ can attest to this. I'm so oh, only yeah. sorry you guys aren't together on this podcast. You guys are great together because she's like a big sister to you, kind of. She's always she giving you crap. And, uh, nonstop annoying me. <laughs> she was so funny when she told me she was pregnant. Uh, she's very serious. She said, "I don't, you know, I don't, don't tell anybody yet," and but uh, I'm very excited and. Oh, and by the way, don't tell my husband. <laughs> I'm telling you, she ought to have uh, she ought to have her own talk show. Well, but, yeah, but uh, exactly, she's very, very funny in real life, and very unlike Marie. I mean, 
There's a bit of Marie in there. <laughs> There's a bit of Marie, but 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 not the, uh, not the Marie, Marie has not an the, edge to yeah. her. Marie she, has she a definitely edge. isn't like a klepto, right? As far as we know. Not that we know of. <laughs> um, yeah, not I can't. Know of. Although things do keep disappearing from my yeah. office. <laughs> you know, I, I, Betsy is so, uh, when I first, I didn't even know Betsy that well. After we hired her, you're still getting to know people even after you hire them. And I remember her coming to me and saying, can you tell me a little bit more about Marie's backstory? What does she do for a living? Does she work? Does she not? Da, 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 da. And I was sort of overwhelmed. This is getting ready to do the pilot. I was overwhelmed, and uh, I sort of nicely, politely said to her, passing the buck, as I try to do from time to time, I said, what do you think? <laughs> and and she, she had it all figured out. She says, I think I work as an x-ray technician. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm thank like, you. I'm like, but I'm like, where the hell did that come from? <laughs> because I think I'd wear a white lab coat and a and a and a and a nice little uh, little thing, you know, on the breast that has my name on it, and, and a white lab coat, nice and clean, and I'd, yeah, just X-ray people, and that came in handy to the pregnancy. <laughs> well, it did. It just worked out great. It was so specific that I loved it, and it was so kooky. I mean, not, I'm not saying that's a kooky job, but the, spe- the specificity of it I loved. It just somehow, you know, being a kleptomaniac, too, just seemed to, just made me, no, made us laugh that, in the room. Did so. that come out of you, or did that come from her? No, that was not, I oh, don't okay. think that came from Betsy. I don't, I can't honestly say it was me either. It might have been, but it might have been one of my other writers. There's also a nice moral say. equivalency to it. I mean, it creates, you know, a new moral dilemma for Skylar and for Hank. And, you yeah. know, a general theme throughout the whole show is people making morally dubious choices and having to make peace with them. And that sort of really helps bring that character into that story. Especially with point. Hank being DEA. I mean, it's hilariously funny that, that we can't, we have pretty much given away that Hank does know. And they're working on it. Oh, yeah, yeah. he's working they're on working. it. Just got to support the shit out of us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love, too, that whole scene where she's she's so OCD that yeah. she's tearing up, you know, she's got her little sweet and lows or whatever they are lined up on the sink so she can talk on her phone that's way across the kitchen. Well, that was a Brian Cranston thing, yeah. Oh, that is really yeah. funny. Well, and then, I mean, and the then phone, she, the cordless phone. The cordless that, phone? That, that, that speed dials by voice. By voice. Right, yeah. yeah. That was Brian's thing, I'd, I still don't quite. I've never seen a phone like that, but they must have them. They, they must, must have exist. them because yeah. yeah, only in New Mexico. Call yeah. Skyler. Call Skyler, and then and then yeah. she's then she's tearing up each of her little bags while she's going through this. Dit, dit, dit. She's wound so tight yeah. as a as a character, yeah, not yeah. as Betsy, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but as a character, too, she's <laughs> wound a little tight. As, <laughs> and then she runs over the poor little boy's toy. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, great. Oh. That kid had the best face. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that kid. <laughs> Just looked like he shot his dog or something. <laughs> <laughs> at, least, at, least he, at least Dean paid for it. And Dean yeah. pays for it. Yeah. yeah. Well, right. I guess we should we should wrap it up. Um, thank you. We uh, thank you guys for yeah, all coming. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and thank thanks you Kelly for doing such a great job with these podcasts. Yeah. Oh, thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> thank you so much. It's it's a lot of fun. I was hoping that uh, that we could do them this year. I listened to a lot of podcasts and. I thought it'd be a really cool idea. I know they do them on a lot of other television shows, and it's like, why not ours? I mean, I think that you know people would be interested. I hope people are interested in this stuff. <laughs> no, well, if they're not, they're not, not going to listen long, so it won't really matter. Yeah. Oh well. Um, but anyway, thank you guys uh, for coming. Uh, next week, uh, we're going to talk about episode number two hundred eight, which is entitled, "Gosh, what is it?" Uh, oh, uh, better uh, call Saul. Oh, that's better right. Call Saul. Better call Saul. Saul Goodman gets introduced. 
Better oh, Call yeah. Saul. This is a, a new character coming, so get ready for that. Yeah. And um, uh, see you guys next time. Let's go break bad. Oh, no, thanks. Yeah.